Welcome to the Live Like Jesus podcast. This is episode four of our current season, How to Be a Public Christian. And I am so excited today. Longtime friend of mine, Leonard Sweet, is joining us. Uh, Lynn and I have written a book together called Telos. It drops here in just a few weeks. And the book is not only coming up, but it's highly relevant to our theme for the season on what it means to be a public Christian. Uh, in order to understand how to act uh, publicly as a Christian, which is a question we've been addressing, it's important to understand to have the right end in mind. Telos literally means the end, and the book looks at a lot of bad endings that are out and present in culture today. We try to address those and talk about what is a good ending that leads to good living. Uh, Lynn, hop on here. Uh, let's let's begin talking about our book together, which appears here in just a few weeks. Welcome. Yeah, I can't wait, and it's great to be with you uh, one way or another, and this is uh, one way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to start with a backstory. Uh, so in 2017, in the fall of 17, I was thinking about some long-term career things, uh, thinking about what comes next, and decided to join your program, your doctoral ministry program at Portland Seminary. Uh, your influence had been so critical to me in the first part of my ministry. And so I thought, let's just go back to the same well and do it again. And so I had been in the program about a month. And uh, I remember one day just offhand making the comment that I had made so many times in the past. And I had heard so many other people in ministry make in the past, especially in our United Methodist tribe, uh, that we were going to advance the kingdom and I said that, and you shot a big hole in that and said, <laughs> we don't advance the kingdom at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, not the way we think. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard for us to understand this, but in the scriptures, it's clear that the kingdom is not something we build ourselves, that the kingdom is a gift that we receive, and it's a presence that we enter, and that God's the one that builds the kingdom, and we participate by entering God's presence and entering uh, and receiving what God has for us as a gift. And um, in fact, I, I'm not sure the kingdom is the right language. One of the things that we use in the book is this whole concept of jubilee and, yes. um, and jubilee Jesus. And I think, I think in the future, you're going to be hearing more about jubilee than you are kingdom, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, the kingdom language is loaded. In fact, as we decided to pursue this book, we had long conversations on whether or not to even attempt to talk about the kingdom because it's been so used right. and overused. And you got a debate too about how, whether you call it kingdom or do you call it kingdom? Or um, it's just so there, there's certain um, words that are just so greasy from so many people picking them up and. <laughs> And and they get a little a little slimy, so you got to spend more time cleaning them up. And by the time you clean them up, you don't have any time left to talk about the concept. You know, <laughs> it's like postmodern. I know, you know, I I used I I wrote a book called Postmodern Pilgrims. I run away from that word now because I don't use it. I I I banish it. I if I do use it, I wash my mouth out with soap because um, as my grandma used to do. But um, but no, it's it's you got to say that I don't by postmodern. I don't mean this by postmodern. I don't, uh, by the time you end up saying what it isn't, you have no time for 
for talking about anything else. So I think kingdom is one of those words that's just so weighted, right? Loaded, um, and um, it, it it's a it's a it's luggage that the handles uh, break really quick. So mm. yeah. I want to go back to this idea of advancing the kingdom. So we've got this whole phrase is messed up, right? Kingdom, advance, all the words in it. Uh, but, you know, when, when I was with you at United in the 1990s, when I got my master's, when you were uh, president there, after that, then I joined a large growing church just up the road from United called Gingisburg, was there several years for our listeners and that was the front end, at least from our experience at, at, uh, in the Methodist world, of this whole kind of movement that exploded right about church growth. And there was so much emphasis on growing churches, which is so closely tied to this idea of advancing the kingdom. So if, if we don't advance the kingdom, then what are we doing? And that kind of reset, at least for me, and this was a lot of the doctoral work, was to kind of reset what is the end? What is the right end in mind of what we're trying to achieve? And of course, that's what telos means is the end. So we're trying to redefine that. Yeah, and and redefine it in a way that moves thinking about the kingdom from numbers to narratives. And that's the huge shift here is that when you when you talk about the end, you are you immediately have to bring up the concept of story and narrative and because the end is all about the it's the end of what what's well, the end of a story um a story of god's mission in the world and and when, when you're when you're stuck in we've been stuck in this uh, kind of this church growth mode where it's all about your tell me your stats i say no don't tell me your stats tell me your stories um yes. the, the whole book of acts by the way is this a it's a, you know, it's from number, but numbers from acts is the old saying, but the acts are, are stories. And so it's their narratives. And so it, it requires, the, this book is going to require some, um, some, some reframing of things that people have already always assumed, but have got to really kind of reframe and kind of re a little metanoia, change the mind, mm. uh, do it about face to, to, um, to face what is really, I think, God's face and and the face of the future. So it's a, it's, it was a fun book to work with you on, and um, it, it's a fun book to uh, to read. But it's not going to be an easy one to hear for some people. Yeah, I, I think that's right. We're right now we're close to sending it to the printer uh, with invites. So I've been doing a final read. Of course, you've got the galley this week, and I read part one yesterday. And we're, we're kind of verbose. I mean, the whole thing is 110,000 words. Uh, so I re <laughs> read the first half. And uh, and I was just thinking about the, you know, the first half for, for our, our listeners. We're talking about all these bad endings that happen based on bad understandings of the kingdom or bad understanding. And, and you know, even to say that, I, I think there's so much in the culture that's still influenced by theology in ways that people don't understand. You know, they have kind of kind of a theological or kind of the, the mist of Christian history that's overlaying our modern culture. And out of that, we have these bad ideas of kingdom, which leads us to these bad endings. And we identify six of them. We identify apocalypticism, utopianism, uh, traditionalism. Uh, in fact, I have to look at them because I forget there's so many. Uh, ahistoricism, 
millennialism and messianism. And so that's a lot of isms. There you go. That's a lot. Uh, But they all lead to that quote that a lovely quote that you found that said the ultimate uh, any ism is the furthest point from God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a Soren Kierkegaard quote, I think, but yeah, it is a, um, when you, when you reduce anything to an ism, you've gotten as far from God as you possibly can, because, because, uh, God is not an ism and Christ is not an ism. Um, the, the, the whole, um, the whole orientation though of telos is and this is what this is the bit one of the bigger shifts that's got to take place is that we have this idea and it goes back to let me use the language of technology or and is it push or pull technology hmm. and and we have this notion that that god pushes us from behind from the past um and that's where jesus is you he's in the past and when you remember you're remembering the past and bringing the past along with you into the into the future the the real um and and there is a a degree of that but the the biblical witness is not that you find jesus in the past but jesus comes to us from the future he is already in this future he is already there and he's pulling us towards him so it's more pull than push i'm historian so i don't want to lose the push (laughs) but but you know but the same but the primary time zone uh for for the, the christian is not the past you live out of the you live out of the past not in the past hmm. and you live out of the past into the future where jesus already is and we're always catching up to him because he's already ahead of us um, we don't bring Jesus anywhere. He is there and we join him in what he's already doing. So this is a whole different way of, of looking at how do you live your Christian life? Um, and uh, how do you act out your faith on a, on a daily, on a daily basis? And, and it also, this is hard to imagine too, because it already, it, it makes us immediately, if you're thinking in telos, you're thinking long-term. Hmm. And we don't do long-term thinking very well. I mean, yeah, right. we, we, how many of us are every day are thinking about our descendants? Hmm. And this, this is where the, the Iroquois had this um, kind of seven-generation rule where they said that we will make no decision of importance to our community until we factor its impact on the seventh generation. It's supposed to come out of the Iroquois uh, Confederacy, the the constitution that they created. Nobody's ever been able to find it there, but that's the tradition. Um, So it's a seven generation rule that you factor what impact it has on on the last generation. That's why the native the iroquois cut down trees all the tribes cut down trees it's not as if you know the anglos came over the europeans came over and cut down the trees no they everybody they all cut down trees but they cut down different trees because the iroquois for example before when they came to a forest they would save the biggest trees because they would provide the seeds for the future generations so they only cut down the smaller trees Hmm. they never they left the bigger trees Great. The the Angles came over and they looked at a field and they go, where are the biggest trees? We got to cut them down because they're not doing that long term thinking. And uh, 
So it, it introduces in this telos introduces what does it mean for us to to think in terms of we have to be good ancestors is the title of a book that just came out calls it. So you talk about the the time metaphor. This is critical to the book, right? So all the chapters have time uh, language in them. And we talk about the kingdom having three ages, past, present, future. And these bad endings are because we are thinking literally about the the present being different from the past and different from the future. And we're saying, no, telos means it's like this kind of sci-fi time warp thing where the time rolls up and it's all times at once, which is really mind-blowing. Yeah, in fact, find me a present. I mean, we live in the flow of the past to the future. Find me a present. Did you catch a present? I mean, as soon as a present, there is no, it, from an existential ontological standpoint, Right. The present is God's time zone, the eternal now, as Paul Tillich put it. Um, now, we can experience some of that eternal now, and that's why the hope of heaven today. We can experience some of that timelessness where everything is, pre the presence is present. Um, but um, but from a, an ontological standpoint, there is, it's a, we live in this flow of, of past to future, or what Telos says, we live in this flow of the future to past. And um, that's a that's a huge distinction that uh, is important. In uh, chapter three, we're talking about traditionalism. I thought about this a second ago as you were talking. Uh, sometimes, perhaps you have been accused of this. I know I have uh, to not have concern for the tradition, concern for the past and the church. And so you wrote this great segment for the book talking about how we're trads, you know, we, how you put it, you know, we're, we're, we love tradition, you know, yeah, exactly. we're, yeah, but tradition and traditionalism, two very different things. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, a lot I, of that I, has to do with where you put your authority. Yeah. I make the case that tradition is actually a verb that we, we learn to tradition the faith and we live in the stream of tradition and, and we, we tradition the faith and we tradition each other. So for me, Tradition is less a, a noun than it is a verb that what it means to follow Jesus is to to tradition each other in the faith. So absolutely. Um, I mean, you can't get a, a greater appreciation for tradition than yours truly. And another way to think about that is it's synonymous to remember. Tradition is remembering, right? It's the hooks. It's it's the things that have happened. It's the part of the story. It's that keeps us tied down. And without that, then um, we lose track of the narrative, lose track yeah. of the story. But it's remembering with a dash in there, re-member, as we reattach ourselves and our members to this to this tradition of which we are, uh, of which we are a part. Each one of these first six chapters, we're really trying to take a, a, a cultural look and thinking about how forces in our culture, people in our culture are kind of half right in a sense that there are there are positive things about each one of these isms that people are trying to hang on to. In the case of traditionalism, they don't want to lose the story, but then they end up putting their authority in the past, which of course is a recurring theme throughout the scripture witness as well. Yeah, and um, the 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 problem with every half truth is the other half, you know, so <laughs> you 
got each one is kind of a profound partial truth right but but the problem is that there's a whole other uh, half three quarters that it's or 90 percent that that is um is problematic that is not there and should be there and is more important than the one that you're remembering so yeah it's a it was it was still almost too much fun doing that uh that first half because it was just it was i always like to uh you know celebrate before i celebrate and um and and so the first the first half of the book is celebration is we're critiquing all this stuff right right then the second half is when we celebrate so i apologize for all of those who i've taught you never you know, celebrate before you celebrate, because here in this book, I did just the opposite. That's right. That's right. In fact, my sister proved it, and she said, "Boy, that first half's depressing." <laughs> <laughs> did she? <laughs> uh, uh, but we're showing you how these these the 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 future. And this is a, this is something I got from Fred Pollock in a long time ago. His name is Image of the Future. It's two volumes. Is Dutch historian. And he just showed how the concept of future has done more to impact the course of history than almost anything. And um, and what we're in those first six chapters, that's what we're doing. How the concept of the future has shaped the contours and mm. the Congress of, um, of of the future. And uh, and it's it's you can't once you get through. I hope. And I hope I've done. We've done homage to uh, to Fred Pollock, um, proving that he was right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, another chapter on millennialism. Of course, you have this long scholarly history with millennialism, which we tap into a bit. Uh, give a whole brief history of millennialism and this this long tradition in the church of kind of thinking through. And so we come out with this statement there that say we're. We're not pre-millennial. We're not post-millennial. We're not amillennial. We're ag-millennial. <laughs> exactly. We don't know. <laughs> you know, that word agnosticism was invented in 1860 by Thomas Huxley, uh, the son of Algiers Huxley. Um, I think the son. And, um, and it happened when he... He, he buried his son. It was a Church of England burial. And the priest spent the whole time, and he's suffering, but, you know, how could God do this to me? What is going on here? Uh, how can this happen? Why, why are we being punished like this? And this is, my, this is my son. I've lost my son. And the priest spent the whole funeral time talking about the glory of God and the wonder of God. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I talk about being out of touch, uh, you know, uh, not not knowing your context. And so he just came away and he said, from now on, I am ag millennial. You know, I am agnostic. I mean, agnostic. I just don't know if there's a God or not, because after this experience and he took my son, blah, blah, blah. So that's the. Yep. Yep. So ag is we don't know and we don't really care. It's not the point. (laughs) It's not the point. Yeah. The point is a person and uh, a person, uh, the point of the point anyways, is always a person. So, yeah. So uh, funny story for our listeners. We were in Missouri in June. We were talking about the book. We had just finished the manuscript. I think uh, it was in review. I don't know uh, 
what stage it was, but uh, we were testing out some ideas and you were in front of an audience and mentioned at the time, the title was just simply the end. And I don't remember the subtitle, but you know, we had the English version for Telos, the end. And so you mentioned that we were writing the book that was just called the end. And we got some laughter, some not good kind of feedback <laughs> from our group, <laughs> you know? And so we got back to the other after we were like, Oh, I think we need to change the title. Yeah. <laughs> it was an unpaid focus group is what it was. Right. Right. And I'm with um, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't really like focus groups, but we needed that one. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Well, it's interesting, though, because it says something about people's perceptions about this conversation, doesn't it? You know, even the, to talk about the end or talk about eschatology as it's often framed, uh, and, and where we're headed, then it's almost a, at least to this clergy audience that we had, it was something they just didn't want to deal with anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about the, the, our book and I wish I'd have had this illustration. It just was in the economist. In fact, I, I cut out the page cause I was so, um, I wanted to kind of reference it, but, um, the, the how how the shift in thinking and especially this relates to the, the the public christian aspect of of what you're doing here um and it was an article on um the it's called uh cinifying shangri-la and um i i don't know if you're familiar with the the whole community that has just sprung up since 1980 um no. called Lurungar. And it's a, um, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be the largest, um, kind of educational center and devotional center for Tibetan Buddhism. Now, not yeah. just general Buddhism, but Tibetan Buddhism. And, um, it's become so successful and, and especially among the, 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 the Chinese and, um, you know, that, that the government has been really, um, shutting them down. And um, the, that it's a, there is Buddhism throughout China, but Tibetan Buddhism has its own little, uh, little distinctions. And so the, especially the Han Chinese have been, have been taking this up. And I just want to read to you this. Uh, so the government has been in, they've done demolishing houses. Mm -hmm. I mean, d uh, literally they have cut off routes to anybody to, to, to see Larungar. You can't get in there. So you can't go there to study or to see what's going on. Uh, the, the the preachers of Tibetan Buddhism have been uh, squashed and and uh, shut up. You can't they you can't print their their sermons and their messages. Mm -hmm. And so one of the 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 the, um, the, uh, the article ends um, that um, how, how do you do with this? How do you do? How do you continue the faith and remain hopeful? You know, in the midst of all this persecution yeah. and opposition, and um, and uh, here the the one of the <laughs> spokesmen of the um, of the Tibetan Buddhists here in Larungar says this. Um, he says, you know, um, the party, the Communist Party in China, has existed for only a hundred years. Um, we believe that we are planting seeds that will bear fruit over many lifetimes. Wow. So that's their faith that 
and this is, I was thinking, so this is why don't we understand this? You know, that, and that's the, that's the almond, you know, Aaron's rod was not a rod. It was an almond branch, but it had on it buds, blossoms and fruit. And God cares about the, the buds. I mean, we are planning, this is the, the problem with the whole numbers mentality. You know, we are planning buds. One day God will say, show me your buds. Hmm. It's not just show me your fruit. Show me your buds. You know, what have you planted that you may not live to see in your lifetime? In fact, the greatest blessings you may give, the greatest impact you may have when you not be in your lifetime. And it's okay because we're taking the long view that God is going to, in God's perfect time, and God's clock keeps perfect time, my mother's favorite saying, that, that we will be planting, are we planting um, seeds that we know may not even come to bud in our lifetime, but we're trusting God and living out of that faith, you know, and yeah. it is the same with, I mean, if you're lucky, you'll see a bud. If you're really lucky, you'll see a blossom. And if you hit the jackpot, you know, maybe you'll see some fruit in your lifetime, but that's, that's, the, that's T loss. You know, right. that's, that's T loss. Um, and we're, we're missing that land. We're missing that. And I hope that people, when they read this book will, get the sense that um that in fact preachers the greatest impact you will have in your life you will probably never know about first of all and it will not occur in your lifetime um i know those people that i blew off in my own life now i'm re i i'm shameless i'm just so embarrassed that i treated them like i did or i didn't appreciate them when i did and and they impact me now when it, at the time I even fought them. And now I go, wow, their greatest impact. I'm not here. I'm here today because of them. And I, I fought them then. I, you know, I argued with them then. And so I, um, yes. <clears throat> we got it. That's T-Loss. You know, uh, this is going to date me. Uh, but I, when I was an undergraduate, there was this song, this Christian song. It's super cheesy. It was cheesy at the time. It's even more cheesy now, but uh, in spite of that, it really affected me. It was called uh, Thank You by Ray Bolts. I don't know if you remember this song. It's from the early 90s. Oh, I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And there's this one song, uh, one line in the song that talks about this kind of like when you get to heaven and all the generations and all the people are there. And and uh, and that just really affected me, even at age 21, 22. Yeah. I, it, it, I think it planted a seed in my mind about ultimate meaning and ultimate what we're yeah. doing you know exactly. and that it's uh it's just so countercultural, you know yeah, like exactly. it's now our our corporate mentality is every three months yeah. you know profit right. profit profit exactly and that's not tea loss and by the way i like cheese i, I don't like it a <laughs> lot it's not good for you a lot but I, i'm a cheese aficionado so you know, I, definitely counts i want yeah. <laughs> the calories are huge but anyway <laughs> uh but cheese is good um I, I, uh, yeah, which means that we're, we will always be, and this is our, this is our, as our, in our public posture, if you're living out of telos, you'll be in touch, but not in tune with your times because mm. you are in tune with the spirit. And so you're in touch with the culture, but you're in tune with the spirit. So you're, you're, there's always this out of syncness, you know? Right. So if you're in sync with your culture, too, I mean, you we got to be. I mean, I wrote a whole book with another one of my doctoral students on contextual intelligence. You got to be contextually intelligent. 
but it's it's context it's not content the context is not the content and and so you're we will always be um when you're in sync with everything going on in your culture uh, then you're you you've lost this this in being in sync with the spirit which is a, a, a spirit of all cultures including future cultures um and it's this is where semiotics comes in too because all the buzzwords of the day if you look at those replace buzzwords of the past hmm. so you can be assured that 50 years from now people will be mocking and repenting of the buzzwords of today right that's... <laughs> right yes so you that's the one thing you can count on that yes. the words that everybody's using as the key you know open says me the buzzwords of the day will not be those of 50 years from now um and so part of the challenge is the telos is how do we get ahead of where uh, these buzzwords that are being bandied about today and how do we shape a and reframe a whole new language for the future that is in tune with the spirit and will bring the the what we're going through today in in a in a more godly and godward direction so so you yeah. mentioned semiotics We'll explain to our listeners uh, the definition of semiotics. I've never asked you actually for your definition of semiotics. Uh, how would how do you define that very quickly? Well, <clears throat> semiotics is uh, I love puzzles and you know they're easy puzzles, five hundred piece puzzles, five thousand piece puzzles. You can, you can go more refined, but. Puzzles are all pieces, but the purpose of the puzzle is not to make more pieces, but to put the puzzle together. And what semiotics does in a world that's always creating, I mean, this is what we did to the Bible. We turned it into a puzzle called chapter and verse. We puzzled it out and uh, we get awards for puzzling it further out and making more harder, more complex pieces of the puzzle. Nobody's putting the, not enough people are putting the puzzle together. How do right. we, what's the big picture? What is this? What's the story of right. the whole puzzle? Yeah. And so semiotics is all about um, putting things together, connecting the dots, yeah. seeing the whole story. Coming off an age in which all we've been doing is making more pieces, right? Exactly. Tearing down, tearing down. Exactly. Uh, and and this, this relates to telos because the core questions of the book, which we identify on page one, come from the disciples where they ask Jesus, this is Matthew 24, they say, when is the end of the age and what are the signs? Uh, semiotics meaning signs, then, you know, those are the two questions, the core questions that we attempt to answer throughout the book. So you really can't even talk about the end without talking about the semiotic piece of it. Exactly. And it's God's the question of to Hagar in the wilderness, where have you come from and where are you going? Um, that's all, all about what does it mean to know where we've come from and then to know where we're going. And telos is all about where are you going? Um, this is where God wants you to go. This is where God already is. This is where God has already um, ended the story. And so now we go to where God is already uh, there. I was in a um, planning meeting for Invite this morning talking about some new things we're going to be starting and we were trying to distinguish what we're doing versus uh, what some other publishers and kind of, you know, Christian media companies are doing, things like that. And we were talking about this angle that the journey is not 
the means, as it is often understood, but the journey is it. Uh, that was the language I was trying to uh, use in the meeting, talking to some people. And we've been talking about that throughout. You know, telos is purpose, telos is completion. But there's also a piece that you added to the book, which I just absolutely love, about telos is command. Uh, so say something about that. Well, command has a lot of different uh, connotations. Um, but the, and let me just, because we're time's getting short, let me just put it this way, that there is a first command in the Bible. God's first words. First words are important. You know your baby's first words. Um, and last words are important. You know, I mean, I remember my mother's last words and, mm -hmm. and uh, teach them to my kids. So my I have one daughter and her first word, her first word was no. So I never had to worry about her again. I mean, <laughs> she mastered that word. Good. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, so we remember our, our kids' first words and last words. So it's a, what is God's first command? um in the bible what what is the first what's the first thing god says to us as a command and and the first command is it's not what i thought it was because i'd reread the whole story the first words out of god's mouth are eat freely mm. eat freely wow and th that's a yes in other words god's first word is yes i made all this for you eat freely but of that one tree don't eat or you will surely die all right yes so that, that you look at the last command in the Bible, the last command, you got to go to Revelation, you know, you just work back and there are some warnings there and there's a promise there, but it's got to be a command. Um, and, and the spirit of the bride commanded, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and the last command, you can look it up. Yeah. Drink freely. Oh my goodness. Gift of the water of life. Oh my goodness. The wow. Bible begins with these two commands. They're bookend commands, but it's the alpha and omega command of eat freely, drink freely. And what Telos is all about is, you know, the, the whole Bible, if you will, is not a, a it's not a tablet of ink. It's a table of food. And I, I and the ultimate thing that is fe feasting is giving us to eat is of course feast on me in your hearts with thanksgiving. It's it's giving us Christ as the food for our life, the bread of life, the cup of salvation. And so telos is basically, I mean, this is the Westminster Catechism, 1643. What is the chief end of yes. man? Yes. To glorify God. Yes. And enjoy God forever. Right. And that's the ultimate command that we are to keep in a telos life is to glorify God and enjoy God in whatever the circumstance, in whatever you're going through, you live out of that telos. Mm. Vern's comment, Bible ends with an open bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vern, that's great. I love but you, Vern. That is great. <laughs> What a good way to end. Thank you for your time today, Lynn. Thank you for the honor of writing this book with you. This has been such a blast. I hope it's helpful to uh, people who read it and can benefit and, from it in their own lives and their own ministries. That'd be great. Please uh, yeah, consider taking this book seriously. Um, 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a link, I think, below Josiah, our producer. I'm asking you about that. You can check a link. But uh, the book comes out December 6th. If all goes well with the printer, we're kind of tied on the read, so we'll see. Uh, we also have a couple other books with invite that are coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, Through the Storm, which is our first book of poetry, comes out next week. And then in three weeks, the next Come Alive series by Talbot Davis on Proverbs drops. And we also have, this will be the first mention of this, but <clears throat> Lynn mentioned a minute ago that he co-wrote a book with another doctoral student. That student is Michael Beck. Uh, we did one book of Michael's already called Painting with Ashes. That came out in January. And now we have our first masterclass. This will be a streaming video product on how to plant churches in the wild. And that will hopefully appear here in the next few weeks. That is in the final mastering stage. Uh, we are now dropping new products at once every 14 days. So invites really ramping up. you got to stay on inviteresources.com to stay in tune with that and continue to dial in each week to this podcast where we'll have more guests to talk about this season, how to be a public Christian. Thanks for tuning and we'll see you in next week. Thank you.